Thank you for listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. It is not intended, nor should it be considered an invitation or inducement to buy or sell any of the underlying instruments cited, including, but not limited to, crypto assets, financial instruments, or any instruments that reference any index provided by CF Benchmarks Limited. This recording is not intended to persuade or incite you to buy or sell a security or securities noted within. Any commentary, interviews, and discussions are opinions only and should not be considered a personalized recommendation. Please contact your financial advisor or professional before making any investment decision. Some of the underlying instruments cited within this recording may be restricted to certain customer categories in certain jurisdictions. You're listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets, the home of informed conversation about crypto for institutions building the future of finance, presented by CF Benchmarks. I'm Ken O'Delaga, Head of Content, and I'm joined by Gabe Selby, our Lead Research Analyst. Hey, everybody, and thank you very much for joining us for another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets. We've got a special episode for you today because we're also joined by our colleague, Thomas Erdosi, who's a Senior Products Manager for CF Benchmarks. Hi, Thomas. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here with you. Let's immediately dive straight in. As I said, we have a set of rolling futures indices. And of course, they are based on uh, trading activity uh, that occurs on the CME Group's exchanges. We have a number of these um, up and running at the moment, most saliently Bitcoin and Ether. The Bitcoin one has been up and running for how long now, Thomas? So we launched that uh, on the 20th of June last year. So for the better part of nine months. And very recently, we launched the uh, Ether variant uh, of our rolling futures in this. And um, let's just um, uh, look, you know, address the idea of um, the fact that this is an actual series of indices. So um, that implies, of course, that um, we will not just stop at uh, Bitcoin and Ether. Um, we will, um, so long as these assets are available to trade uh, in terms of futures and options and other products on the CME, we will actually have indices uh, for other assets as well. Is that, is that correct? That is correct. For the moment, the digital asset universe uh, on CME is limited to uh, Bitcoin and ETH. They cover around 90% of the Bitcoin market in, in terms of market cap. But having said that, as, as um, CME continues to grow their, uh, their digital asset franchise, and when they continue to add new crypto assets, we would be very keen on um, spinning up rolling futures indices on those new contracts. Sure, of course. That's, so that's the plan. Now, let's try and sort of get as clear as possible uh, an explanation of how these indices work. Um, so... Um, we're talking about rolling futures. When I say rolling futures, what does that mean to you? Um, how would you actually explain it in the simplest way possible? Yeah, sure. So in essence, what the rolling futures indices do is they replicate the performance uh, of basically holding physical Bitcoins or, or Ether by trading in those uh, futures, the CME futures contracts, which is then designed to give perpetual price exposure to Bitcoin um, against the dollar, for example. Now, the way this is done is that due to the fact that uh, CME futures contracts or any futures contracts have an expiry date, 
um, you, you effectively can't hold on to this contract forever. So you have to take action. Those contracts expire every month. You have to take action at the end of every month by selling that contract and rolling that into the next to expire contract to maintain that perpetual price exposure. And that's what, what's meant by rolling the futures. You roll the prompt contract, that's the first to expire contract, into the next to expire, the, the prompt plus one contract. Right. What is the prompt plus one contract exactly, though? So that's basically the contract which expires after the contract that is soonest to expire. So let's say today we're it's 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 the 11th of April. Um, the contract expiring uh, this month is, I believe, around the 25th of, of April, something along those lines. So that's the prompt contract, the contract expiring on the 25th of April. The prompt plus one contract would then be the contract expiring at the end of May. Basically, whatever the it's always the last Friday of the month. So that would be the last Friday of May. Yeah, that encapsulates, I think, in a really simple way, you know, the typical, uh, for people who do understand, typical type of strategy or, you know, procedure that you would actually undertake to actually do a rolling future strategy. If you wanted to basically, um, as you say, replicate perpetual exposure or exposure for a certain period of time, this is what you do. You buy one contract, hold it to near expiry, sell that with the proceeds of, the, of, that, of, of that sale, buy further contracts that represent um, in terms of value and other characteristics, the contracts that you've just sold and so on and so forth. Is that is that does that make sense or am I missing out an aspect or no that's spot on that's that's the principle taking a step back though in an in a, in a nutshell what what this is what this is trying to do fundamentally is um, it's trying to give institutions access to digital asset spot markets and it tries to do this without actually getting any exposure to um, blockchain technology like you don't have to um you know keep your coins and tokens for example in cold storage on a ledger you you don't need the um sort of the technological expertise that is associated with this also you you don't have to and the administrative uh... exactly also you don't have to interact with any crypto native exchanges for example you only interact with cme which is a extremely well known well accepted institution in traditional finance have a uh, long track record of trading, highly regulated, regulated by the CFTC, and yeah, all all existing institutions and in traditional finance of the, most of the big ones anyway would have existing lines with with CME. Obviously, any asset traded on the CME is centrally cleared, and that that is really one of those those points that make our rolling futures indices stand out. Yeah, I mean, I, I know we want to we will get into the, what I'm going to say next a little bit more, uh, you know, deeply later on. But um, you know, when we when we talk about the, the actual procedure to create a rolling futures, uh, rolling exposure, if you if you like, um, I'm immediately minded of you know the, the notion or the idea that um, you know you basically have to choose when to actually dispose of the current holdings and when you want to sort of you know exact, because obviously when you do that you will immediately need to uh, get into a future uh, additional holdings. To maintain that exposure. So is there anything you want to tell us about the refinements um, in terms of the strategy that underpin the methodology um, the index right now that actually um, has a, a sort of any deciding um, factor? You might uh, sell current holdings and, and roll them into, into a further additional holding. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as you alluded to, the, the index is based on a robust methodology, which is based on a transparent set of rules. Our background is, is crypto, right? We are a pure play digital assets benchmark provider. And with that comes a, a certain set of understanding and a certain set of, of skill. Um, with which we analyze uh, markets and digital assets, well, yeah, digital assets markets in general. And so, for example, what we what we do with this type of index is we we try to obviously uh, limit the tracking error between our rolling futures index values and the underlying spot market to an absolute minimum. So that is that is like the, the key undertaking that that is kind of the most important thing. And we do this by basically, we analyzed a lot of historical data. So we, we looked at basically factors such as when is the optimal time of the day to roll? When, when do we see the best type, the best liquidity during the day? At what point of the month do we expect to see what kind of uh, futures time structure? So is, is, is the futures time structure going to be more likely to be in contango backwardation at this time of the month and those, those types of things. So, so we analyzed all that and based, based on that analysis, we basically chose a specific times of the month to, to roll our position. And we also chose a specific length of that, of that roll window for, for that purpose. That's brilliant. And there's a few bits of jargon creeping in. Um, you know, we are familiar with the, the meanings, but let's try to really leave no stone unturned in terms of, you know, people's understanding. We'll come back to contango and backwardation um, in a second. Um, actually, no, let's, let's start right there. Um, this is what you've just said. So backwardation? This is a lot of jargon. And for listeners that you know, aren't too familiar with futures and these contracts, these derivatives, which, you know, is completely comprising our index. This is really important and actually impacts the end result of how the index performs, you know, and it's tracking error relative to the spot. I was going to say, yeah, tracking error is another one. So yeah, tracking error is, is simply just the difference between whatever you're referencing. And in this case, you know, we're referencing our rolling futures index compared to spot Bitcoin prices. Spot Bitcoin prices is also kind of jargony, to be fair. That just means Bitcoin's price. Yeah. So what's the difference between, uh, you know, the index's uh, price performance relative to the price of Bitcoin? And that would be your tracking error. Right. Um, these terms, contango, backwardation, can be, you know, it can sound a little bit um, kind of goofy, really, but it just means, um, you know, what's the relationship between the current price of Bitcoin and then uh, a futures contract price expiring in the future, which let's just say, you know, May, which would be in some, somewhere down the road or June, is that price above or below the current spot price? So if it's above, um, that means that we're in contango. We typically see, you know, that role, that mechanical role feature that we execute on and the rolling futures index have sort of a performance drag because you're selling a contract that's worth less than the one that you're rolling into. So that that little difference there is what we would consider to be the roll cost, which ha has an overall drag. Backwardation is basically the opposite. So the futures price, again, sometime in May or June, the, that contract is below the current price of Bitcoin or even the current futures contract. Um, 
in that case, you would actually have a tailwind. So the contract that you're selling- An advantage, if you like. Yeah, is actually- In terms of going long. Going to be worth more than the contract that you have to purchase. And this is something that is 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 um, kind of critiqued a lot in the rolling futures world because this is, I think, a novel concept to bring rolling futures to crypto. And it's something that CFB is on the vanguard of. Yep, we've pioneered this. But rolling futures in the traditional sense have been around for some time especially in the commodity space for offering products there, they have always kind of had this uh, reputation of having these, you know, roll costs associated with, uh, you know, rolling into the next contract and not dragging your overall, you know, product performance down. Um, and, and what what Thomas here has kind of outlined is, you know, the, the CFB methodology has kind of jumped into the, into the back and analyzed what would be the optimal role strategy to really um, mitigate these these costs? And I think, you know, Thomas, you can probably jump into this, but the performance kind of helps illustrate where we're at as far as the tracking error, what we're seeing, you know, in the performance between our rolling futures index and our something like the reference rate that it's it's tied to, which is the Bitcoin reference rate settled in New York, right? Just one second to really uh, tie this up uh, before we get that from uh, Thomas. Um, when learning about uh, backwardation and contango many, many years ago, the way it was explained, or at least a neat mnemonic, was um, backward dated. To look at the origin of the word, obviously, it's like a, it's like a, you know, conflation of these, or not conflation, it's like a contraction of, of that phrase, if you want, if you want to put it that way. So if we're saying that the price of the uh, contract the time that you want to, um, or any time, is lower than the spot price of Bitcoin. That's kind of archetypally, you know, inverse psychological behavior that you expect the market to be in um, normally. So it's backward dated um, rather than showing its normal behavior, which generally speaking for most assets tends to be a contango. I think that's correct, right? It, it can depend. As always, the truth is always nuanced, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, just to recap in terms of why are we talking about all this futures curve topic? The reason we're talking about it is because that defines the basis and the basis defines the tracking error or drives the tracking error. So, for example, if we look at the tracking error over the last 12 months, uh, we've seen that the uh, Bitcoin rolling futures index has actually outperformed the underlying spot rates by very marginally so by around 30 basis points so it's roughly roughly flat so basically you would have you would have had or you would have gotten exactly the same performance from holding the cf rolling cme bitcoin futures index as you would have received by holding physical spot bitcoin that was largely due to the fact that the the basis as in the, the futures curve was extremely flat during that period if we look over the last six months, as opposed to the last 12 months, actually, the our rolling futures index, uh, all of our index variants, in fact, outperformed substantially their underlying spot rates. So for example, over the last six months, our rolling Bitcoin futures index has outperformed the underlying spot rate by around 2%. This is um, speaking as of 11th of April 2023 is always subject to change. And as always, I would say, you know, past performance is no indicator of future performance. Having said that, though, very, very solid numbers that we've seen historically. And um, we obviously have reason to be optimistic that that this will, to some extent, uh, continue in the future. I think I believe we'll talk uh, later a bit more about some of the drivers for that going forward. 
Yeah. What what I wanted to sort of um, interject uh, as well is that these factors, obviously contango, backwardation, tracking error, they are mainstays of futures markets trading. There's nothing unique about them that is, um, you know, specific to Bitcoin or any other crypto asset that you can think of. If you try to get exposure in the way that the Rolling Futures Index series tries to give you exposure to these assets, you will be subject to the same effects. And generally speaking, you'll find if you look at these um, these sort of metrics, uh, undulating waves that obviously are related to various factors going with, it could be macroeconomically, it could be intra-market, it could be about the, the market structure, all those kind of factors. But the main point to remember is that there's nothing about them that's different from the same effects you see in other market, traditional trad fine markets, if you like. I think that's a good point to make as well. I completely agree. Very important points and very important as well to remember that when the first market participants uh, tried to or decided to create, for example, a rolling futures index on, on gold or any other type of commodities, they practically went through a similar exercise as, as we have for our rolling futures indices. They looked at market liquidity, they decided the parameters, when it's best to roll, and based on that, they, they built the index. We, as the specialists for digital assets, have now done this for, for Bitcoin and Ether. Perfect. Now, there are a number of other factors that we need to bear in mind, or certainly that may arise in terms of queries from potential clients or just interested observers uh, when we're talking about futures. Um, and maybe they're more on the risk side. How, for instance, does such a strategy as we've um, as determined by the methodology for our own futures index series indices mitigate or minimize the potential risk of front running, for instance? Um, you might need to define exactly what we mean by front running just very briefly before you answer that, Thomas. Yeah, sure. So front running effectively um, represents the activity of um, taking positions in the market by some, let's call them just bad actors, uh, who would try to uh, who would try to take advantage of something that they know is going to happen in the future, in the very near future. With regards to uh, rolling futures indices, and this this has happened quite quite frequently and quite consistently in the past with certain commodity rolling futures, is that the market is aware of on what days of the month those rolling futures indices roll their positions and due to the illiquidity that is sometimes seen around those roll times the rolling of these contracts can have a pretty substantial impact on prices of those contracts now front runners would anticipate this so for example they know that on that day of the month everyone is selling the front contracts and everyone is buying the next to expire contract this can result in selling pressure or downward pressure on the price of the front contract and upward buying pressure on the, on the on the next to expire contract a front runner can try to take advantage of this by just before this roll starts to take place selling the front contract and, and buying the next one if, if that makes sense and and therefore front run the actual roll activity so that that's what that refers to and that has an impact on the potential performance and if you like the integrity of, or the reliability of the index to represent exactly what it what it's intended to um, represent right if left uh, you know unadulterated yeah, exactly. And and the way we try to uh, basically avoid this from happening as much as possible uh, is that we set our roll time 
as a, as a very long window. So we basically, we roll our position every month on three days and we spread the, the roll amount equally across three days. And on each day, we roll during an eight hour period, which basically lasts from, from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Chicago time. Right. And it could be any time. The, the, the executions can be any time within that window, right? The executions are effectively based on, on traded, so on physical transactions. So that's, that's what defines the roll price, uh, the physical transactions within those eight hours. Now, to a front runner, that's a bit of a nightmare because of, because of the inherent volatility with digital assets, specifically, for example, Bitcoin. If you enter uh, a position ahead of that eight-hour window with the intention of front-running the, uh, the index or the, the, replicating, um, you know, the replicating trades for the index, you might have to wait a rather long time to see any profits from that. And in that time, given the volatility of the, um, of the underlying, you, you might get wiped out completely very quickly. And we then further, we apply further measures to um, prevent any type of manipulative activity. We um, divide the eight-hour window into four two-hourly partitions, and we then calculate our, basically, reference rate or our roll price based on the volume-weighted average prices of those four two-hourly partitions as an average of those uh, four VWAPs. So that's, that's kind of how we do it. And that's, that's very much in line with how we, as, as a benchmark provider, as CF Benchmarks, how we generally build our, our indices. So we always have in mind that we want, to, we want our indices to satisfy three typical attributes, um, which our indices should uphold. So the, the three attributes are representativeness, replicability, and uh, resistance to manipulation. So what does that mean? Representativeness basically means that we want our indices to be representative of the underlying economic reality. So the indices are supposed to capture what really happens in the market. Replicability is perhaps one of the most important ones, which is that you have to be able to replicate our index values through market-traded instruments. So we're not, um, we're not in the business of creating theoretical models and applying those that have nothing to do with reality. All our indices you can replicate, and specifically our rolling futures indices, you can replicate through traded market instruments. And then the final one is what, we, what we've just been talking about, which is the resistance to manipulation. So we apply specific guardrails to all our um, rolling futures indices that, that make manipulating those indices very, very difficult. Yes. One final thing on that subject, the three R's as we like to refer to them within CF Benchmarks. The way that we do this, in other words, the methodology is where? Is it available for anyone to read? Is it transparent? Yes, yes. Very good point. So yes, all our methodologies are available online. Um, they are um, available on our website. Uh, you can download them and read them at any time. Based, like I said, on a fully transparent set of rules, fully passive. And like I said, we apply a lot of guardrails to make sure that any type of negative activity does not affect our indices and we have a very solid track track record of doing this and, and you know as befits a regulated registered benchmark administrator regulated by the uk fca these sorts of practices methodologies policies kind of baked into our dna because we have to yeah <laughs> so you know there, there's also that added aspect so i think from my point of view from what i'm hearing that we've done a pretty good job of summarizing how these these rolling futures indices within the series 
uh, work, how we put them together, what safeguards we've gone through to actually ensure that they are replicable, representative, and manipulation resistant. Am I missing anything, though, from your point of view, Thomas and uh, Gabe? I think with rolling futures, because it's built around this familiar framework of these standardized futures products on a regulated CFTC exchange like the CME, they're able to deliver a product that's very liquid, that's transparent, and retail clients, you know, any mom and pop can go on their phone, can buy into, you know, a type of, you know, ETF structure that's open-ended that should have a lot better, a lot closer tracking to the underlying NAV of, of these of these instruments, which we know with the index has, you know, done a pretty good job keeping it a stone's throw away from the spot price. That's a great uh, segue, uh, Gabe. And um, what I wanted to do, though, is flag really clearly, we are now talking about how you'd actually utilize the Rolling Futures uh, Index series or one of the indices in the series. And you mentioned um, essentially exchange-traded products, um, but more specifically, I think maybe we would be thinking about an exchange-traded fund particularly listed in the largest market for ETFs um, in the US. So can you, again, both of you maybe riff on how this rolling futures index, uh, the Bitcoin one, the Ether one, others to come, would be an ideal solution for that particular use case in the US? The regulatory landscape has just made it very challenging. There's just not, let's say, like a roadmap or an on-ramp for asset managers, fund providers to do an open-ended ETF structure that invests in spot Bitcoin. And until that regulatory clarity comes or until things change, unfortunately, you know, you're going to have to come up with more creative solutions. And what we have here is the creative solution for, for asset managers to create a product that's much more liquid and has a tighter tracking error than going into the closed end or private trust type of field of products. So to me, it's very kind of consequential as far as this kind of will unlock, you know, a lot of a lot of potential for retail investors to have an on-ramp to long-term exposure to the top two digital assets in, in our universe right now. So Thomas, um, we've talked about these parameters. I mean, there's, there's a whole range of them. They're clearly quite flexible, but you know, we're talking about an index that is, um, and, and uh, you know, the space on the methodology there, that is, as we say, uh, written down. So the next question that really comes to mind is, can these parameters change? Yeah, thanks for that question, Ken. So yes, theoretically they can. Um, we uh, here at CF Benchmarks use our expertise in, in digital assets uh, all the time to monitor what's happening in the market, specifically with CME futures. We assess the liquidity, the volumes that go through on specific times of the month. So it's not a decision we would take lightly. And since the launch, uh, for example, for the Bitcoin futures variant that launched in June last year, we, we haven't made any changes. We haven't seen a, an urgent need to make a change. But uh, having said that, if an urgent need arises, basically always with the view of keeping the tracking error as low as possible, then we would we would make a change. Okay, yeah, I think we've actually done a pretty good job of actually uh, talking through how this um, index series um, works and who it's for um, and how we sort of like address some of the common, the typical queries that people generally have when you talk about uh, futures. 
So uh, thanks a lot for that, uh, guys. But um, what are the key takeaways either of you may have for this uh, podcast? What are we sort of hoping that people get from listening to this? I think as a leading cryptocurrency benchmark provider, the one thing that we want to do is facilitate um, these indices for asset managers to deliver you know, the most optimal products for their end clients. That's really, I think, something that's very important for us. And, you know, recently we just saw Bitcoin prices cross the 30,000 watermark, which is something very significant, I think, um, as we kind of come out of this crypto winter. And I would just want to highlight one key takeaway is that, you know, I think to really benefit from the upside potential of this type of asset class, investors must have kind of a strategic longer term outlook. And so everything that Thomas has talked about today with, with the Rolling Futures product series is designed specifically to enable this perpetual strategic uh, exposure to this asset class. So, uh, you know, I think that's really important to just kind of always keep that in mind because it is a volatile asset class. So it's always about maintaining exposure over time to really reap the benefits. Thomas, you'd obviously agree with that. What do you expect or what would you like for um, any viewers and listeners to most get from having had this explanation? from your point of view? Yeah, I think what I would like people to remember is that here at CF Benchmarks, we centralize a lot of expertise uh, surrounding digital assets. And we we have a strong track record of, of creating uh, robust indices and our CF Rolling CME Futures Index Series is one of them. And it it has shown to keep a very, very, tra- very tight tracking error to, uh, to the underlying spot market. And as such, will give institutions access to those uh, to those markets. Absolutely. So yes, um, this is just one of the tools um, available. Uh, this uh, CF Rolling Futures Index series that we provide for our clients to actually address the opportunities that are available in the digital asset market and will become even more available going forward. So really appreciate you guys explaining all of that to us. And uh, thank you very much for you guys out there listening to another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets. I'm Ken. I've been joined by my colleague Gabe and my colleague uh, Thomas. And we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you.